0: On ABC Radio, this is The Big Fish with Scott Levi.
1: Ahoy there, welcome aboard to another edition of The Big Fish. And we're talking about Big Flathead with Mr Flathead from Lake Macquarie, Mark Williams, just about to hit a milestone with his dedicated crew. We'll find out what it is up next. Good morning, Mark Williams.
2: G'day, Scott. How are you going, mate?
1: I'm going well, or Mr Flathead, as they call you at Lake Macquarie. And uh, you're about to hit a milestone. It's like scoring a 1,000 test runs, only I think harder. (laughs) Tell us about this incredible effort of the the volunteer flathead taggers.
2: Yeah, mate, it, it is a big milestone. You know, six years of tagging effort, actually, since... Um, the lake was declared a trophy flathead fishery by New South Wales DPI Fisheries. And, yeah, we've had a group of, you know, 10 dedicated recreational anglers up here who, have, you know, specialised in chasing dusky flathead 70 centimetres or larger for the purposes of tag and release and the scientific program. And, yeah, six years on and we're almost at the 1,000 fish tagged. It's just a mind-blowing milestone, eh?
1: How close are you, Mark?
2: Oh, I'm sort of, I keep a, a tag, or like a spreadsheet of the data, and like I'm in the 990s, but my I'm always a couple behind DPI. They always, a couple of cards get snuck in direct to them, so we're very close to the mark. I know um, Clay Hilbert, who's the tagging program manager at DPI Fisheries, he's going to run the database and check when we hit the 1,000. It'll be very soon, but.
1: What's it all about for those people who think, um, why are they why are these guys doing this? What's the use of it?
2: Yeah, well, I think basically, like, as you know, because you've supported us with this program and helping to get the word out there about these pink tags flooded in the lake and what to do if you recapture one right from day one, mate, and we really appreciate your support, but... Really, there wasn't a lot known about large, trophy, dusky, flathead. You know, there was some research done, but it was all aimed at commercial fishing, A, eh? It was never about the recreational side of it. And, you know, we've learned an immense amount with the recapture data from these fish. Like here in Lake Macquarie, we've had well over 150 fish recaptured, A, eh? And that's shown that they're a tremendously resilient fish if they're handled properly. Like we've had one fish that was initially tagged by Dan Guilfoyle that I know we've talked about before that's been recaptured four times, eh? It's just incredible.
1: Just amazing, isn't it? What are some of the techniques for for handling these big girls who are the future of the fishery?
2: Oh, you know, there's a few basic things, but, you know, DPI research says that if you handle them properly, over 96% survive, and I believe that with the recaptures we've had. Like, you know, the main thing is Minimise the time you've got them out of the water. Like, you know, be organised, you know, have your net ready to go and have your camera or your phone ready to go to take a pic of them and, you know, have your mate there. The best thing we do, like, especially when we're fishing in boats where there's two of us, like, one guy nets the fish and holds that fish in the water while the other guy gets his camera and his brag mat ready, and that way you minimise the amount of time they're out of the water, eh? Like, you know, wet your brag mat critical things supporting the body weight of them. like the, the absolute worst thing you can do to them is hang them by the jaws off a set of metal lip grips. Like That does, does them no good at all, eh?
1: Yeah, right. What about the net itself? Any tips on construction?
2: Yeah, well, for the big crocs, you need a big net, eh? Hey, and you need the knotless nets, you know, the ones with the silicon netting or... Any of the new modern generation ones that go away, eh? the old knotted nets, they definitely affect the slime coating of the
1: fish. But this is great research into catch and release and the uh, efficacy of catch and release as well, isn't
2: it? 100% mate. And you know, that data from the Trophy Trophy Flatted tagging program and not just lake macquarie also the guys at st george's basin they've done a massive effort and they were actually the original instigators on it like we followed on from them 12 months later so you know full credit to those st george's basin anglers that kicked this off in the first place but yeah like you know the recaptured data has you know 100 percent supported you know the proposal to have a slot limit for dusky flathead in New South Wales because, you know, the proof is in the pudding with the numbers, hundreds and hundreds of recaptures that the fish survived catch and release really well.
1: And why is it being done in these pioneering recreational fishing havens? Why were they the first St George's Basin and, and now Lake Macquarie?
2: Well, the reason it started St George's Basin because it was those, you know, anglers down there that you've interviewed some of them I'm sure they were the ones that put the proposal to um New South Wales DPI Fisheries that we need to do something to look after our trophy dusky flathead because especially down St George's Basin like it's such a famous big flathead fishery and you know those guys were seeing that the stocks were starting to come under pressure a and you know they they approached New South Wales DPI's fishery and they started working together on the Trophy Flathead concept. And from that flowed on, you know, that we got these tagging programs to get the data on the fish. And then, you know, lo and behold, you know, through, you know, New South Wales Recreational Anglers and their pressure and lobbying the New South Wales government, we got the um, new rules to protect these large breeding size fish.
1: I guess the elephant in the room, the problem, um, for example, a beautiful big fishery like Broken Bay where Monday to Friday the commercial trawlers are dredging the bottom for dusky flathead uh, you know five days a a week. How do they make sure that the big girls survive because the recreational anglers obviously need educating as well but that is a bit of a problem I would think.
2: Oh definitely mate like you know know, I've seen all the data released by fisheries when the trophy flathead proposal came out and you know their commercial data was that the majority of the commercial catch is like smaller size fish and they don't actually target the big females. And like, you know, I've got to agree to it. Like I've been going in fish shops all my life and like I, you know, my family were good friends with Central Coast commercial fishers when I was a young guy growing up. And like, I, you don't see a lot of monster big flatties in fish shops, eh? but obviously they do get some as part of their bycatch and You know, I don't really know the answer to that problem, mate. Like, you know, we've talked about it till the cows come home, you know, the issues relating to estuarine netting, eh?
1: Possibly some sort of design of nets that allow them to escape. I I don't know because surely that's indiscriminate that you get the big girls and now I don't know if they have the same rules about keeping them as, as we do, do they?
2: Yeah, I as far as i know there wasn't any changes on the commercial side of things you know re- the you know the flathead issue was you know as opposed to a lot of the other species in new south wales it was like fairly equally divided thing you know recreational commercial whereas you know other species like snapper and yellowtail kingfish and even jewfish you know, as what's happened recently with jewfish, there's had to be more restraints put on commercial fishing. You know, like the efforts, it's a different situation completely, eh?
1: Yeah. Well, anyway, we can only control what we control, and you've definitely done that uh, with great citizen scientists, great volunteers. We're speaking with Mr Flathead from Lake Macquarie, Mark Williams. Uh, Mark, we'll come back and, and have a, a chat about some of your adventures and some of the, the other fishos who've been helping out with this project because... Uh, it's not all science, it's a bit of fun as well, isn't
2: it? 100%, mate. And yeah, that would be great because, you know, we've got a few guys that are pretty well known on social media and that, but we've got a couple of quiet achievers too that, you know, pretty much stay under the radar and they just catch amazing amounts of big flathead, eh?
1: Yeah, well, you hang on there and we'll come back with more on the, the fabulous flathead fishing of Lake Macquarie on the big fish after this. <laughs>
0: They were whinging, Dad, you let yourself go. They hardly ever visit, so how would they know? Because I choose to live in a caravan park. They think I've lost the plot, but they're way off the mark. My waterfront view, only it costs two hundred a week. An old millard is my mansion. It's cozy and doesn't leak. There's brim at me back door. I catch enough to eat, I go prawning and crabbing up the mangrove creek. The kids shake their heads, they reckon they know best. Dad, you should be in a nursing home, you can't live like this. The Riverside Holiday Park is not their cup of tea. An old millard and a tinny, that'll do me. reckon I got no social life but that's far from true this filthy Phil and Deb, the happy hour crew cold beers under the fig tree, prawns in the ice tub, on Friday we get the courtesy bus to the raffles at the club, they look down their noses they think I'm trailer trash because I clean the toilets to make some extra cash they said what if you get sick And need medical attention I said you can call me an ambulance It's covered in me pension The kids shake their heads They reckon they know best Dad you should be in a nursing home You can't live like this The Riverside Holiday Park Is not their cup of tea An old millard and a tinny That'll do me time comes I finally have to go just slide me into the river tie a crap out of me toes there'll be no need for sadness no need to grief just check me next morning the muddies are on me the kids shake their heads they reckon they know best dad you should be in a nursing home you can't live like this The Riverside Holiday Park is not their cup of tea An old millard and a tinny, that'll do me An old millard and a tinny, that'll do me
1: uh, There he is, the mid-north coast bar of the caravan park. <laughs> he just sits under the mango tree and plays the guitar and all the campers come around and sit at the feet of Errol Gray by the fire and he spins some yarns and tells some stories and plays some great, great songs. An old millard and a tinny, that'll do me. Yes, that's all you need really, isn't it? And an estuary full of fish and those estuaries that have become recreational fishing havens like Sir George's Basin and Lake Macquarie are just teeming with fish. Mr Flathead Mark Williams is with us and he's been part of an amazing... Uh, citizen science project to tag giant breeding flathead and we know if we leave the big girls alone there's lots of little boys who'll come and uh lay with them uh, you've seen those underwater photos amazing where there'll be a giant female flathead and you'll have six or seven males vying for her attention uh, <laughs> there on the bottom mark it's incredible isn't it you only need yeah. one one of those boys to be successful with his uh milt uh yeah. and then then mum lays millions of eggs the bigger she is the more eggs is that right
2: yeah the, the dpi data is 700 eggs per gram of body weight so you know you know like those big flatties are six kilos plus so you just do the maths and it's millions of eggs eh?
1: And, and are you seeing the results of it is is lake macquarie teeming with flathead i know there's more recreational fishing pressure because it's so good but you know are we seeing the results
2: well from the tagging data, like I think it's gonna take time, maybe it's like, you know, uh, sort of a sixty centimeter flathead, you know, is around five years old according to the graph and all that, the graphing that DPI have done. But like and as far as I'm aware, the largest flathead that DPI have aged was a ninety three centimetre fish, I think, from down the basin. And that was about fifteen years old. So, you know, if it takes some from six years old to 15 years old to get to 90 it's going to take a few years before we see these 70 centimeter fish we're tagging busting through the 80 barrier and the 90 and that's what i say to guys like you know once they hit 70 like the growth rate on them does slow up
0: yeah
1: do we have any idea of their movement when it comes to spawning that's particularly important isn't it to Protect spawning fish. Do they go out to Swansea and sit around blacksmiths Beach and Redhead and around the rocky headlands, or do they stay on the flats at the mouth, or do they go back up into the estuary? I mean, where it's a, a huge body of water, Lake Macquarie, yes. biggest uh, saltwater lake uh, on the coast, um, right around Australia. And where do they go?
2: Yeah, there's definitely a movement towards the channel during the warmer months and the spawning season. But the tagging data definitely shows that they don't all move because we're still catching big fish right through the summer months, you know, at the far ends of the lake away from the channel, and those fish are being recaptured in very similar proximity to where they're being tagged. So I think the tagging program has shown there's a movement, but they don't all move every year.
1: So do you think they're also... Congregating at, at the flats at, at the mouth of yeah. Lake Macquarie to do their spawning as well?
2: Yep, yeah, 100%. There's, there's always a movement, especially of the real big girls towards the channel. Because, you know, that's the, our prime time to tag some real big fish in the channel, is definitely during the warmer months.
1: We're speaking with Mr. Flathead Mark Williams and with a whole crew of wonderful volunteer wreck fishers, they've been able to tag. Well, possibly uh, the data will be in very soon. A thousand of these big flathead, we're talking fish over 70 centimetres, the one that you must let go by law, of course. So that's very important. Isn't it amazing when you hit top of the tide there, uh, when the water's warming at Swansea and you're up on the flats and it's like a fishbowl. It's really clear and you can stand up in the boat and look across the flats and you'll see one of these big girls coming at you like a crocodile across the sand flats just and particularly right on the top of the tide they tend to just take advantage of that to move to the next ambush point don't they it's yeah, really an yeah, extraordinary exactly. extraordinary thing to see i mean it just gives you spine tingles
2: yeah yeah and all the widening up on the flats when it's crystal clear especially now the lake's beautiful and clear again now that we've come out of this Nina period like you know, you've probably seen some of that drone footage of the cat channel that you see on social media and that, and you'd think you were in, like, the Bahamas or something, eh? It's just beautiful.
1: Speaking of drone footage, too, I put in a call to a young fellow by the name of Nev, and he's got a great YouTube channel yeah. called Nev's Fishing. Have you seen it?
2: Yeah, I've seen it. His his footage is amazing.
1: If you've ever seen anything like it, you know, he parks a drone over the top of these fish, and they're a fish of a thousand casts. But when you know they are where they are, they're, they're probably a fish of ten casts. So he'll yeah. l- look at the drone that's parked over a huge flathead, oftentimes with with other smaller fish uh, around it. No doubt, you know. So I don't know where he is. He might be up at Pummerston Passage or somewhere in Queensland, and then he'll fire a bent back minnow or a, a walking the dog type lure over the top, and then you'll see this giant crocodile levitate off the bottom and explode onto the lure on the drone footage, and he uses that drone to um, to target where the they are. He spots them first lying on the bottom and then uh, and lets them go. Of course, shows a shows, uh, very good catch and release technique, actually. He looks after the fish very well, but, boy, that's an eye-opener, isn't it?
2: Yeah, that footage is amazing, and there's a couple of young blokes doing that now, and, you know, it still shows that the lure, you've got to make a good presentation, like if they cast behind them or a bit wide... You know, the fish don't come up on it. But when, when like, Nev gets that cast on the money, holy dooly, don't they obliterate the lure?
1: Oh, it's amazing. They'll yep. often spook, too. They'll often spook. Yep. But it gives you a good idea of, of flats fishing because um, you've got to get it, as you say, right right in the right slot. It's almost like fly fishing for trout, which I know yep. you, you do a lot of, too. Yep. You've got to get that lure in their window because they're not yep. going to waste energy chasing something over a long time distance they're an ambush predator and they'll just smash it when it comes into that region where they know that it's an easy easy target
2: yeah and the majority of the time they're going to be sitting where in the direct facing the direction that they think the food's going to be coming from you know with the tide so you want your lure coming from that direction you want the presentation to imitate the bait eh? like and you can sort of see it when you don't get it the right direction that's when you get those rejections
1: Absolutely absolutely and uh look I'll talk about that with Treno later on who's also a a really big exponent of catch and release for big flathead and looks after them beautifully up the Camden Haven and the Hastings and the mcclay and um you know he he was spotting fish the other day and then catching them you've got to know where they they are yeah. you know you've got really got to be in tune with the environment haven't you
2: Yeah it's a hunting game eh like and those big fish are creatures of habit and you know, especially those guys up Camden Haven and Port Macquarie, and you know they've got such awesome flats and that. And you know those sort of guys, once they know where those fish hold, they can go back and catch them all the time. And probably if one get moves or gets removed, another one will take up that good real estate, eh?
1: Yeah, get that lie, which is um, a place where they get to twenty pound. Yep, <laughs> yeah, that
2: is the place of the monsters, eh? That's
1: right. Yeah, no, it's 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 a wonderful thing to have fish so large um, that we we, and of course they've all got to be let go how's the education going though are people starting to get it that you you try to get the hook out in the water if they've taken a bait down just snip the line near their nose and uh, let them swim away I mean I think hoisting them on board just take a photo in the water it looks better anyway Um, you know people starting to get the message I know you guys have to use the soft nets and the brag mats to put the tags in and things but if you get one of those big girls why not just sort of um, get the hook remover or you know, get down and just flip the the soft plastic out? That's a good thing about softies, there's only one hook, so they're really good for catch and release, and then let them swim away. Are are people starting to get the message?
2: Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, social media has been an awesome thing for, like, catch and release flathead fishing, eh? Like, you know, you see all these young guns like young Nev you mentioned, and, you know, they all handle the fish really well, and so all the aspiring young guys watching their YouTube channels – you know, they adopt the handling techniques those guys are doing, and, you know, it's probably the best education going these days. But, you know, I agree with what you're saying, mate. Like, if you're have got if you fishing the flats in shallow water and you get the monster, like, there's nothing wrong with jumping over the side with it and looking after it, eh? Like, I know a lot of the fishing we do in Lake Macquarie is in deep water, so we can't really do that. But having said that, in my kayak, if I get one close to shore, like, I regularly... Paddle over and jump out and do do everything with them, you know minimize the time if i've got a, a beach nearby. you know I just get the bragmat out, do a quick brag mat measure and they're in the net and, and then swimming off back out to the depths
1: that's a way to do it. We're speaking with Mark Williams about the incredible flathead program in Lake Macquarie where they're almost almost at their one thousandth tagged flathead with those. Uh, pinky colored tags if you get one uh, just get the numbers off it then let her go of course you're not allowed to kill any flathead over 70 uh, 700 millimetres 70 centimetres anyway um so how do they uh you know what what should people do if they catch one with a tag in what's the best uh, thing to do
2: um the best thing to do mate is as you know quite often the tags after about six months will have a little bit of algae on them So if they are, you can just scrape it off with your fingernail. It comes off really easy. And then the easiest thing to do is get your phone out, put the camera on, and zoom right in and take a good sharp photo of that tag with the number. It's just a six-digit number on the side of the tag. Um, And like what we do, we take the photo and then we double-check and zoom in so you can read those digits Um, because... You know, they need those digits to access the database to identify that fish in particular. Um, and, you know, the usual route, a photo on a brag mat's always handy for DPI too. If they could get a photo of it on DAG mat, that shows the length and it also shows the condition of the fish and how it's, you know, how it's survived since its previous tagging. Um, because a number of our fish that we've tagged, we've actually tagged them and they've taken the lure a bit deep. And they've been bleeding on release, and the tag card has all boxes for us to tick and comments to put in. You know, bleeding on release, and we've had heaps and heaps of those fish recaptured a, a year and more later. So a, a good photo like would would show like that the fish has recovered since the previous hooking. And, um yeah, other than that, just get them back in the water quick and watch them swim off and enjoy them cruising back into the depths.
1: Yeah, fabulous, fabulous stuff. And I, I like the idea of letting them go in the water if you can because then they don't thrash like crazy and ram those big spikes into your leg and then, yep. then you're going you're to bleed for about an hour Yeah, uh, because they've got an anticoagulant on them or something. They just never yeah. stop. And We know that well. And they're strong and they're bloody dangerous. It's like... You know, being Steve Irwin, the crocodile wrestler if you yeah. <laughs> leave him in the water but, yeah. um, it's great what you're doing please let me know Mark Williams as soon as you hit that 1000 mark and yep. uh, get that milestone because it's been a fabulous tool for fisheries to modify our, our rules to yep. make sure that we let go of the big breeding female flatheads so tight lines to you mate and we'll have to get out and catch a few more on Lake Macquarie
2: Definitely mate, looking forward to it and thanks for your support over the time too mate, like Yeah, you and your listeners have all helped the cause with us, you know, educating about the importance of these large female breeding flathead and why we need to release them so that the stocks remain good.
1: Mark, it's our pleasure. It's uh, good fun and we're just looking after the, the future and the kids can catch a feed of flathead down the track because of this initiative. Mark Williams, thanks for joining us on The Big Fish.
2: Thanks very much, mate. Always a pleasure to talk to you.
0: The Big Fish with Scott Levi on ABC Radio.
2: Here comes Stinker with his fishing tips. Some hot advice for your fishing trip. Where to find him? What's the bait? Are you
1: catching any, mate? Good morning, Stinker. Hey, day, Scott. I'm not even going to ask you that question, are you catching any, mate, because... uh, If you went out in stick pot, I reckon you'd end up pretty quickly in Tasmania with the way the wind's blowing.
3: Oh, gee. The whole house is shaking. (laughs) The the trees are at 45 degrees. Um, It's just been a really, really miserable week. Uh, Something that fishers can maybe look at their tackle box or do some maintenance on their motor or... Do something, but don't get on the water, for heaven's sake. And I've noticed, strangely, with that howling wind, willy-willies come up the middle of Port Stephens and they lead, They go out between the headlands, between Tomaree and Yakobar and they go straight out to, to um, Bundlebar Island. It's quite... I mean, I'm looking at that. I can look at that from my lounge room and see these willy-willies, and I'm thinking, if I'm in and a willy-willy picks me up, <laughs> I might end up on top of Bro- uh, Bundlebar Island. I don't know where I'd end
1: up. <laughs> That's right. You may end up like uh, the Wizard of Oz. That was uh, a, a tornado that lifted her off her feet, wasn't it? Uh, Stinker, what have you seen change? I mean, you've been there for so long now. What, what are some of the changes you've seen around uh, Port Stephens and, and Fingal Bay, where you are?
3: Yes, well, it has been a long time. Uh, it's- it's flown I mean it's an old saying how time flies but it's been 50 years since I arrived in this town and I haven't I've been out on the water I sort of worked the place over and I still only scratching the surface but because I've written two and a half thousand articles and I and you know we've been doing radio programs for a long time you, you get a real sense of what's you know, to and froing ing of what's here in the... Particularly when it comes to resources, natural resources. And the one that's the most um, frightening at the moment has been the, the pippies. Pippies are all but gone. And when I first arrived here, to drive along Stockton Beach was one of the most amazing things I have ever seen. And that, that uh, kilometre after kilometre after kilometre would be um, mature adult pippies popping up out of the sand, uh, just tons and tons. It was, it was extraordinary to see. And now you struggle to get enough to fill half a bucket. It just, they're just not there. Um, and there's reasons that we're trying to identify. But then not only pippies, um, oysters sadly now have gone. And I, that I'm talking about Sydney rock oysters, and I'm doubtful whether they will reappear. Um, oyster growers seem to think that there's a chance that they won't come back. Um, and then um, squid. Well, that's another one that's really got me mystified because the squid, oh, gee, you don't catch 20 squid any time you like. It was just the simplest thing. And they were the big green-eyed squid. You could catch more than 20 if you wanted, but probably everyone would pull up at 20. And these were big squid like, like your leg monstrous jolly things. So they're gone. They're gone. And, I, and I'm and I'd blown by nowhere. I'd be most interested to know in other areas along the coast how they're going with squid. But then, of course, there's some that have turned up, Scott. You know, those other fish from, from up north.
1: Yeah, right. Like the, the, You're talking about those beautiful uh, Spangled Emperor and things.
3: Yep. Yeah, Spangled Emperor and, and the Pearl Perch. Well, see, Pearlies weren't. Here when I first arrived but they've they've sort of arrived and pretty much established themselves um yeah the the uh, the emperor. um what what also amazes me here, and i can really only compare it to where I come from, which is Tweed heads, was that mud crabs here can grow when they're well, i was pretty poor season at the moment, but it'll rev up as the water gets warmer. But they can get to over three kilos. Now, I never knew that mud crabs could grow to three kilo. I'd never seen a three-kilo mud crab. But, uh, and i have never seen uh, um, a 10-kilo lobster, but I have. Um, they're called spider lobsters, and, and they're still here, but, of course, it's illegal to take them now. But they're, they're, oh, it was a re- And big blue swimmer crabs like I've never seen with a wingspan between 78 and 80 centimetres on. These things are giants. <laughs> I've never seen anything like that before.
1: Have you seen the demise of the, the abalone? Uh, that's a, another one yes. you would have seen come and go.
3: Yeah, yeah, um, pretensis, a, a disease, a virus called pretensis went through then. And see, they were so, oh, again. You could go out and, and get as many, you could look up crevices. I used to do a bit of snorkelling those days. You could look up crevices and there'd be 50 or 60 abalone up one crevice. Not all full size, but some are only as big as a 50 cent coin. But they were really, um, they were everywhere abalone. Well, now you, you won't find one. Uh, they're very, very rare because the thing called pretensis went through, the virus, and cleaned out. I think ninety six percent. So there's been big changes in what's in and around Port Stephens in in my life in my time that I've been here.
1: Hey, on a happier note, and some of those things are good and some are bad. What's the the, the favourite story? Because people, when I get feedback on stinker, they just love the storytelling. They don't really care that much about catching fish and stuff uh, and technique <laughs> and stuff because. Yeah. They, they want to hear stories yeah. don't they what's the what's the yeah. story that you know people enjoy uh, the most you think
3: Oh, uh, look i i don't know when i hooked a bus on the bridge at um <laughs> that, that that gave me quite a thrill i couldn't even slow it down you know i, I, I was jagging mullet and the, and the hooks flew out of the water and and i clunked onto one of those pioneer buses going to melbourne well, that's that, Shook things up for a while, but I think my favourite story. Oh, gee, it, it concerns um, an old South Sea Islander. That, there's a lot of South Sea Islanders up in uh, live up around Tweed Heads, and I, I grew up with them, and they played in my football teams, and they were really good friends of mine, and they still are. And I enjoy going back to Tweed Heads and, and seeing my friends up there. But it, this story revolves around an old bloke who had a tin shed. I used to live on the Eukary Bar Passage, which is a little branch off the Tweed River, Uh, and it's a sort of a swamp, a mangrove swamp, I suppose you'd call it, but it was rich, very rich, some beautiful flathead and yabbies, and the yabbies in there were unbelievable. Um, Yabbies and seagrass in there. You can't motor through there now. There's a new law up there, and I don't know who put it in, but good luck to them. You're not allowed to motor through there with a, with a motor. You can row, but you can't motor through. Um, anyway, this is I'm going back to when I was 16. Oh, I was 16 years old. And Tommy was up, had a tin shed, and he'd sit and smoke and, and mend his crab traps, and he had a few nets and things and an old wooden boat that he would row. And he was a little bit scary. He was a scary character. I remember he had one eye. And I never, ever said a word, never spoke to Tommy, but I knew where he was. And, and I knew he had crab traps in the water too, as I did. I had a couple of crab traps. I would have been about oh, 200 metres, 300 metres from where, where Tommy was. Um, but Tommy would knock my traps off. He'd shake the crabs out and take them <laughs> home. He'd sell them. He was selling them. But I couldn't catch him. So um, what used to happen those days, of course the next dark night, I'd go and shake a couple of Tommies out. And, and he never caught me. But he knew what I was doing. And I knew what he was doing. But we never ever caught each other. And, and we never said a word, but we'd look funny at each You know, you look at each other and say, I know what you're doing. Yeah. It was that sort of relationship. Anyway, I, when I was 16, I got selected to, to go to Sydney to play cricket. In, in, um, at the Sydney Cricket Ground, actually, which is so exciting. And I was going to be gone for a week. And I said to my mother at the time, look, you know, I'm going to pull the crab traps out of the water because, uh, you know, if I leave them in there, they're going to get knocked off. And and my mother said, no, no. She said, bait them up and then go down and talk to Tommy, <laughs> Tommy Parsons, and ask him Will he look after your crab traps for you? I said, You've got to be joking. I said, He's been knocking my traps off for years. He said, Do as you tell. Go and do that and see there you go. So, anyway, I I put my crab traps out and I walked down along the the creek to where Tommy was. And there he was sitting in his shed, you know, always by himself. I said, "Uh, G'day, Tommy. I said, Look, I'm going to Sydney is there any chance you can look after me crab traps for me? And he said, I sure will. He said, I sure will. <laughs> anyway, that was, a, that, was a, that was the end of the conversation. Well, I come back from Sydney a week later, and, and I said to my mother, I said, well, me crab traps still there? He said, Tommy looked after it, and he cooked the crabs, and he bought them down here every second night. She said, we've Aww. had a beautiful feed of crabs. He's looked after your traps like you wouldn't believe. He said, go and buy a carton of Blue Rossmann's, um cigarettes because that's what he smoked. Go up and give them to him. And I said,
2: all oh, right.
3: <laughs> so I went up and I went and bought these Blue Blue Rossmans and I took them up and he didn't knock on anything because it was just open. And there he was still sitting there. I said, Tommy, thanks for looking after his trap. Here's a carton of cigarettes. And you know, we never knocked our traps off after that day. I stuck with my traps and he stuck with his. <laughs> I thought that was just fantastic. You and know, and the just...
1: lesson to be learned, Sticker, is always listen to your mother. She was wise. <laughs> she was really, really wise. <laughs> that's
3: right. I'll tell you my word. I mean, I'm just thinking now that you've asked me, on um Eukary Bar Island, which was directly in front of our house across the creek. That's where Neville Bonner was born. And Neville was the first Aboriginal senator, I feel. He was in Queensland. And he was born under a cabbage tree palm on Eucrebar Island. And so it, where I lived, it was just a fishing paradise for anyone who loved estuary fishing.
1: Oh, great stories. Great stories, Stinker. And you got a few runs at the SCG, but that's a story for another time. Tight lines, buddy. All right, <laughs> <laughs> Scott. See you next time, mate. The Big Fish with Scott Levi on ABC Radio. Cole, the waymaster, treneman Good morning, Cole.
4: Morning, Scotty. How are we,
1: brother? Yeah, very well, mate. You're just about to head down and open the doors of the tackle shop and put some, uh, I don't know, fresh water on the worms or whatever you do when you go down there at uh, very early, early in the morning and big crowds on the Hastings and the Maclay and, and uh, your lovely... Camden Haven and up at the Nambucca and Coffs right across the mid north coast fishing is the big lure isn't it it's the big draw card for tourists I remember when I worked in Port Macquarie they did a survey and the big thing that people said was if they couldn't catch a flathead with the kids they wouldn't come back and it's lovely to see the Hastings a recreational fishing haven now and you know you're a very 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 big chance to catch a flathead for a feed that's all they want isn't it that's correct
4: mate no and no, like you said yeah it's it's a lot of a lot of it is too. When you get a lot of tourists, and they they sort of come in, and you can pick them straight away because the opening line is "I'm not from here," <laughs> or they go, <laughs> or they say uh, things like "Lake Cathy Yeah. Of like Cat Eye. So if you're listening, people it's Lake
2: Cat Eye.
1: And I've heard you in action, and and look, I must say you're very honest. I think you're too honest sometimes, but uh, you tell people exactly where they are and where they're biting. But what should a tourist visiting a tackle shop? Because uh, that's a great spot to to chew the fat and get some info. What should they say? I mean, what what's the best way to uh, approach the gnarly old smelly bugger behind the counter, like yourself? <laughs> <laughs> <Bloody> <laughs> <man>. <laughs> <laughs> I'm only joking. He, he doesn't smell. He he, he very very that's clean bloke. Old bugger. That's right. He is gnarly um, though. Look
4: look, a lot of people just come in and, and sort of ask a few questions. And if look to be fair, like it's our time and and. and you put something on the counter, okay? I'll give you some information. You put more on the counter. I put a lot more information. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right? Yes. It works both
4: ways, mate. You know, like, but look, in fairness, just ask the right questions. Look, like, you, know, you can say, look, you know, mate, you know, just doesn't say much to say good day, and just ask, you know, oh, what's biting? You know, what's your best mate? So fair enough. You just tell them what it is, where they are. Um, people ask me uh, question, for instance, they go, oh. Um, I suppose you know a lot of places where fish are biting. I go, yes, I do. Sort <laughs> <laughs> of thing. And I,
1: I do know Well, that. you've got to do a little bit of foreplay before you cut straight to the chase, haven't you? You've got to sort of, g'day, how are you going? Uh, heard you on the radio. Gee, you've got a great head for radio. You're a terrific, terrific fishing uh, reporter. Uh, anything biting? That's the one down
4: that road <laughs> you have got a good head for radio that's why
1: you're on radio uh, but, the, but a lot of like you have great banter in the shop there that's what I, I do love the regulars particularly they give as good as they get and, and so on oh. and so forth but when the when the people come in I mean I guess the one limiting factor is what what gear they've got or what gear they're going to buy that's
4: correct well see you'd, you'd ask him like a, a lot of people come in and, and, and you know me with the safety on the rocks and, that, and they say oh listen do you know some good rock spots and I say yes I do and they go oh thinking that I'm a bit of a smart eh? but no, I said, listen, mate, uh, I, I don't know you. I don't know your capabilities on the rocks. You might be able to fish, but I don't know. So I'm, don't take offence, but I don't tell you anywhere to fish on the rocks. It's, it's a safety thing. I don't like sending people to there you know, if they don't know what they're doing on the stones. It's just one of those things. That, you, know, you know how I feel about that, Scotty?
1: Yeah, that's very wise. That's very wise. But, gee, you know, you can catch so many species off the beach and probably even more than you do on the rocks.
4: Oh, of course, but it's, it's that, I don't know what it is, it's just that draw of people, you know, they, the social media has bumped up the old rock fishing, you know, with the blokes with the drummer and marlin and longtail and kingfish and all sorts of bits and bobs, you know, and that's the glory. But, yeah, mate, like I said, you get enough dewfish on the beach at times, you get whiting on the beach, brim, good brim all year round. So, you know, there's, there's plenty to do on the beach and it's a little bit safer, except when you don't follow the rules and you get bogged.
1: Yes, that's true. You've got some beaches where you can drive on the mid-north coast, haven't you? That's correct,
4: mate. And there is beach passes because people, if you're coming up and going to use the beaches, make sure you get a beach pass because they're pretty savage on, uh, the fines are very savage.
1: But it's it's a wonderful, wonderful way to fish off the beach. It's so relaxing because the kids can kick a footy or fly a kite or dig a hole and, and, and you can just sit with your rod set and you don't need expensive gear, do you?
4: Now well, I remember when my Billy kids were younger, uh, they were at primary school and, and the, it was a, say about march, April, and I used to make dinner up for the kids and take it down on the beach, and say, right as soon as it got dark, the kids jumped in the car and i' I'd, sort of, I'd start fishing into the evening for a dew. It wouldn't be long. I used to, used to get one, and'd you know probably about seven o'clock would be off the beach, but they were fed you know, and then just come home and give them a bath and put them to bed.
1: You've got some gutters too that are more productive for for Mullaway than the, the rock shelves. You know, when they're on, um, there's some spots down there where it's almost, uh, if if they're in, uh, it's almost a certainty you'll get one.
4: There is a couple of good beaches. Uh, uh, one, one for instance, Harrington Beach. That's that little one between Crowdy and the breakwall. Uh, that, that can get very productive at times. There's some beautiful water in there. Uh, the other one would be uh, come up from Olbar, up, back up towards Harrington, that beach there. Very productive beach. Uh, it's a long beach. It's probably about 19 k's or 12 k's. And uh, there's some beautiful guys. I remember driving down there with a mate. This was a few years ago when you're allowed to catch your two-dew. We went down on the beach there and there was about 30 cars. We passed them all and he said, where are we going? Why, why not there? I said, that runs too hard. We're going up to the next one up here. I said, it's a bit smaller, but there's better fish in here. Anyway, this uh we watched these blokes and they were pulling they got their two they had their two dew each before dark and I hadn't thrown a line at me. He said, oh, mate, he got one and he said, Don't you throw it out? I said, Oh, I'm gonna wait till just after dark and I put through a tareless load out and got a twenty four kilo one at the dead of me, I'm going home.
1: Was it you who Fish. gave me the tip? Yeah, that's fantastic. You gave me a tip about pilchards and I'd fished for salmon and tailor off the beach forever with pilchards and before that garfish and you said to me you said don't use the iqf use the slab and and when i used the slab um i got a my little bloke got a dewy straight away and it was quite amazing you know the the block the block of pilchards rather than those other ones for some reason that right, they, yeah. they just like those better um there's something with the salting or something in the in that well, you, other process
4: you can get you can get, uh, you can get salted pilchards which are tougher, or you can get the brine pillies now from a, another mob that we get in through the shop and they're not a bad product either. They, they're pretty tough. Uh, the IQF, I like the IQF for brim and things like that, because, and snapper because they break up and create their own burly trail. But the other one I do like a lot better than all the pillies in that is bonito, mate. I, I I can't go past a slab of bonito, and you can cut it up for smaller for your tailor, and when you get a tailor slab, your tailor, or you can throw out a, a bigger bait like half a bonito, fillet. And your bite catch is big tailor, but you'll also get due on that as well.
1: Yeah, and I think uh, a slab of slimy too is just dynamite yep. as well.
4: That's right. Well, what, what, if I get them, I get like if I get me ten, and then uh, or I buy a box off uh, off the professional lads. A box is usually about thirty to thirty to fifty fish, and I'll probably fill it up half of them, and then salt them and put them in the fridge. And when they're cured after four days, I bag them up, and throw them in the freezer. But the others I brine up in a nice brine, and then. um I vacuum seal them in a bag and throw them in the freezer. And then when I'm ready for them, I pull them out and half throw them, take the sides off them, then add salt and leave them sitting in the, frid- in the fridge for about four or five days and use those.
1: That's and and the mulloway like those?
4: Yes, mate. I've caught plenty of good dew on
1: those, yes. Yeah, very interesting. We're speaking with uh, Cole, the waymaster, Treneman, who uh, works in the tackle shop and gives lots of good advice to those visiting fishos to, to Port Macquarie in the mid-north coast area. Speaking of which, Treno, what's uh, biting at the moment? Anything Anything to report from your grapevine? You know everybody.
4: Yeah. Mate, look, uh, there were some good reds uh, last moon, that last uh, last fall we had when we could get out. We haven't been able to get out for a, for a week or so with that. that
1: oh, the wind has been had. blowing a gale in the sea. Yeah, it's oh, been well, terrible. The
4: south, it was from the north. So, you know, yeah,
1: it was a big breeze.
4: That, uh, look, there were some good reds offshore. Uh, there was reports some uh, a couple of bigger striped marlin and a couple of blues out wider when you could get out there. The deep drop boys were still getting a few ooglies that current hasn't really picked up yet, but I dare say after that blow we've had it, it will pick up this in the next week or so and, and so you you always know when you see the big the big deep water lobby boats sitting in the harbour, not out there fishing. So um look in the estuaries mate, oh, the Brimmer moved in. I went down um the other morning, I think it was Tuesday morning I went into my little little patch of paradise to Camden Haven and went down around the highway bridges there and I got some beautiful fish, which are sized fish, which I haven't seen for a while. They're all spawned out uh, like very skinny fish, but they're up around a 38, 39 centimetre mark, which is pretty unusual. We get a lot of good fish, which up to, say, 33, 35, that's tip, not fork, uh, for the brim, but these are a little bit bit of better size. So I'm thinking, well, we might get a good run of fish this year, hopefully. Flathead, mate. Plenty of flathead. I got another nine. I got a ninety on a bent there the other week. I had an eighty-eight, so I've, I've upgraded it by two centimeters. And uh, I believe next week I'm going out with a mate of mine. We're going to go and chase a few more of those big girls. Gee, it's uh, a pretty
1: exciting to get a ninety centimeter on a, a a surface type lure. I mean, that's I know they do dip and duck and dodge and dive under, but um, you, you'd almost see that take, wouldn't you?
4: Uh, well, actually, it was funny. I threw it up onto the sand. I was. When I was down in Harrington, now I threw it up onto the on the sandbank, and I know "Oh, that's a bit far." And I pull it out into the water, and i have just gone two twitches, and yes, the patch of sand rose off the bottom, and just slurped it. And I mean, wow! Actually, when it ran to the to the left, it just bow waved, and I thought, "Oh, great, that's a big one."
1: Wow, it must have had its nose right up against the shore.
4: I reckon it was probably sitting in about four inches of water,
1: five inches yeah. of water. If it's like. amazing, isn't it? And you know, I, I go down to my local estuary and and hunt around the edges for for flathead lies. You know those the footprints that they leave. And so often after a big tide through the night, you'll see where they've got their nose right up against uh, a rock wall or against the bank. And you'll see the flathead move with the tide. You'll see uh, the lies progressing towards the shore as the tide rides rises. And you'll see those, uh, the footprints they leave as they move in, head, heading towards the shore with their nose pointing towards the land. Uh, sounds like that fish was in a similar position.
4: That's correct, mate. The other one too, if you're only new to the new to sort of fishing for flatties, <clears throat> find an area of a night where it's lit lit up, like a big street light or a big spotlight or something like that on the water and go back down the next day at the low tide and you'll see where exactly where they're laying and all you've got to do is go back there the next night and there they are.
1: Well, that's how you got that beautiful PB the other day on a, a lure, wasn't it? When you, you went up along the edge of the rock wall and they weren't down on the sand, they are actually sitting up on the rocks. You spotted them at night and uh, went back and the eyes are the best best tool. Uh, look, it's great talking to you, Treno. It sounds like the fishing's on on the, the, the mid-north coast, maybe up the estuaries with this wind. Tight lines, buddy, and, and thanks for helping the tourists out to catch a few.
4: Not a worry, mate. Pleasure. It's been a pleasure. <laughs>
3: Of it. How do
0: you guys you've been listening to an ABC podcast you can discover more ABC podcasts live radio and exclusives on the ABC
1: listener